thank you for joining us for the next episode of ACE GP Training. My name is Priya and I'm a GP ST4 working in Hertfordshire. And over the next few months, I'll be joined by some incredible guests with the aim of helping you to not only ACE GP Training, but also to guide you as you start work as a fully qualified GP. We would love to hear from our listeners, so please do get in touch by leaving a comment or review through your podcast provider, and that will help us tailor future content, but also help others find us too. I've put our details in the bio if you want to email or contact us through Twitter. Hello, welcome to this episode of ACE GP Training, where we will be looking at how to prepare for the RCA examination. I'm joined by two exam gurus, Dr. Fiona Lecky and Dr. Pauline Foreman, who both have extensive experience in this area, especially as they're both RCA examiners. Hello, Fiona and Pauline, and thank you for joining us. Would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about your background and your interest in this area? Yeah, so um, my name is Finn Leckie and I'm a GP based in Cambridge. I've been a TPD in the past and I'm now the Associate Dean for Exam Support at HEE East. So I sort of lead on the RCA and the AKT exam. And as you mentioned, I'm also an RCA examiner. That's great. Thank you, Fiona. And I'm Pauline Foreman. I'm a GP and trainer in West Hertfordshire. I've been an examiner for a very long time and I've also been a, a chief examiner in the past. So I've got quite a lot of experience of how how examinations run generally. And I'm a current, obviously, RCA examiner. And I've got an enduring interest really in fairness and assessment. That's great. As we mentioned, so we're we're focusing on the RCA exam today, which is shortened to RCA, but it's the recorded consultation assessment. And this replaced the CSA over the COVID pandemic. Am I right about that? Yeah, so the RCA came in you know, just in literally in the March 2020 that I think we can all remember back to now. The CSA had to stop quite abruptly because of the pandemic. And then the, the team all worked very quickly behind the scenes to because obviously people wanted to CCT and, and progress on with their careers. And as remember, there was so much going on, wasn't there, the world at that time. And they developed up the RCA, which was really a sort of pragmatic approach to being able to allow people to, to CCT on time and that came in in the July of 2020 and um, has been with us since then. And has it sort of changed over that time at all? Yes it, it has developed really and that's been largely in response to trainee feedback and feedback from the training community about some of the challenges associated with preparation. Some of the major things are a longer consultation time it was initially 10 minutes and that changed I think last or September 21, I think, to, to 12 minutes. And there's also been a change to the mandatory criteria, probably, I would say, a simplification, really, and some of the previous mandatory criteria, like presenting a case with a clinical examination, have, have been removed. So are you able to tell us some more about the RCA exam itself? So sort of how many cases, how cases are submitted and things like that? Yeah, so it's 13 cases. And as Pauline's mentioned there, it's 12 minutes long. And that's after you've consented the patient. So you'll do that bit where you sort of say who you are and get the consent. And then the the 12 minutes starts from that period on. And then at that period, although your submission might be, say, 15 minutes, the examiner is only going to listen to the 12 minutes from the time that you consent to to that 12 until the the 12 minutes is up, even if you keep talking for three minutes after that. 
So it's fine to submit cases that are a little longer than the 12 minutes. It's just no one's going to listen to longer than the 12 minutes after they consent. So it's 13 cases you need to submit. There's mandatory and recommended criteria um, that you have to fulfill. And you can write a sentence. You're encouraged to write a sentence after each consultation. Just you can give a little bit of background there, but really just a sentence. You don't need to submit more than that. And what are some of the sort of mandatory criteria or recommended criteria? So I think just starting with the mandatory criteria that you need to uh, present uh, an acute case. You need to present a patient who's over 65 and also a child. You also need to present a mental health case and a women's health case. I've probably left one off, Fiona. I'm sure there's more than that. Um, Long-term condition? Yes. And that, that's the one that sometimes trips people up, actually, because it can't be a new diagnosis of a long-term condition. It's got to be an established long-term condition that you're managing uh, during the consultation. So could you overlap some of those cases? So, for example, if you had a person, did you say over the age of 60 or 65, and then if they had a long-term condition, would that meet two, two of your mandatory criteria then? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yes. So how do you know if you're ready to take the RCA and uh, when can you take it? I think it's just in ST3. Is that right? That's right, Priya. So ST3, anytime in ST, from ST, you know, on ST3, you can, you can sit the exam. There's obviously various different sittings, which are all on the RCGP website. So there are various timings of the sittings. And I think that's a really good point. You mentioned, Priya, when do you know that you're ready? And I think there are, it's really something that you want to be prepared for. You only really want to sit this once, don't you? you? And you want to make sure that you're in the right place when you sit it and that you're ready to sit it. So I think you really want to start being quite critical of your consultations and getting feedback um, from your trainer before you're even thinking about sitting it to get an idea of where you are. And we've talked a little bit, I think, before about consultation skills, but how you can look quite critically at your consultations to think, you know, and you can follow. Uh, there are toolkits, you know, like the Northwest Toolkit, which you can use to give you some skills and some feedback on ways that you can develop particular parts of the consultation you may be struggling with. And it's really once you've mastered that, that's when you want to be thinking about moving forward. So feedback from your trainer, personal, developing that skill in yourself to be able to look at your own consultations quite critically and know what's good and what's not so good. And you want to be doing that well before you're signing up for the exam, I would say. So sort of start preparing early, thinking about your consultation style, start recording and getting other people to listen to them. So I get, I guess you get some feedback as to whether you are ready or not. Would you, is that what you would agree with, Pauline? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and I guess really you should probably be quite comfortable at consulting within 12 minutes, really. You should be generally, not, not all consultations, you know, that's not, not feasible, but as a general rule, you should be doing a complete consultation, hopefully, within 12 minutes. And I guess that's also where your supervisor can also help out because one of the challenges with exams in general is how how your educational or clinical supervisor can guide you and help you. But I guess that's one of the key areas that they would be able to let you know, okay, actually, I do think that you're ready. Yes. Uh, I mean, hopefully that would be a joint discussion, you know, and it, sh- it should be, you know, it, it's definitely worth having a, an open and honest discussion about that. And if for some reason your your, your trainer doesn't think you're ready, you know, the, what is the issue and where do you need to focus on in order to get to that stage, really? Once you are at the stage that you think that you are ready, 
how do you go about finding cases? Do you, because I, I think I've seen people do it differently. A lot of people sort of think about what kind of cases that they want and then, you know, send messages out to the folk, their fellow doctors in their practice to say, keep an eye out for these cases. Is that a good way of doing it? Or should you keep more of an open mind? Is there a, is there a secret recipe to this? I think... Everyone's different and people do it in different ways. There's no one way I would say that you absolutely have to do it. And practices are very different, you know, in the way that they run and their systems work. I think personally, it's very important about, you know, when do you record? I think it's important that you don't record all the time. Absolutely. You're just going to get absolutely overwhelmed and exhausted if you do that, as when you're a trainer. <laughs> as well, which is not good. So I think thinking about having protected recording sessions when you're um, perhaps have a little bit more time, a couple of gaps between patients, you know, so, so you're not under pressure. And also so that people know you're recording, you know, a notice on the door, do not disturb. So that kind of thing. Everybody in reception knows, you know, an instant message can go around saying I'm recording this morning you know, please, no interruptions, and that's absolutely essential. And I think preparing people, as you say, whether it's through reception, I'm looking for these particular cases. But I think it, you know, it depends on what sort of triage system you use. We, in, in my practice, our trainee will say, I'm recording tomorrow, so that the people on triage, you know, will know what she's looking for, that, that kind of thing. So, but I think some sort of process around it is really, really helpful. I don't know, Fiona, do you think there's anything else that's helpful? No, I'd absolutely agree. I think there are cases that don't work so well. So things like, say, minor illness, for example, sore throats, it's difficult to sort of show your skills for independent practice with a quite a low challenge case. So I think avoiding sort of minor illness stuff would be quite sensible, I think. And also, you don't want to go for like really, really complex patients, ones that your trainer would think, I cannot, you know, manage that case safely in 12 minutes. You're not going to probably be able to do it terribly well either. And there's quite nice advice actually on the RCGP website about level of complexity of cases. But I think absolutely what Pauline says, engage the team. I've sometimes met trainees who said, I'll only see this condition or this condition or this condition because that will be the right one. And actually, I think then you miss a lot of gold out there because, you know, as we all know, don't we, not necessarily what the patient's got on their triage list is actually what they're coming in for. And so I would keep it quite open-minded, but maybe avoiding things like just routine follow-ups, long-term condition reviews, minor illness, those things probably are not going to work terribly well for you. But I'd have quite an open mind, certainly at the beginning of my recordings for that. And then you might want to be a bit more targeted to think, what criteria do I still need to tick? And, you know, absolutely engage the team, engage the nurses, engage reception, make sure you're quiet, make sure you've got a timer in your room as well, make sure your camera works, make sure that your examining couch is either off the camera or that you've got a, a screen that you can pull around so that the patient's not exposed and the areas you mustn't expose are the trunk areas for everybody from all males and for children under the age of two and for women uh, for females uh, um, the trunk area and the breast for over two and there's a nice little diagram on the RCGP website about that to help you. And actually, that brings us on to, you know, should there be a mix of video, audio consultations? Does that matter? What would you guys suggest? I don't think there's any particular evidence that one format is better than another in terms of outcomes. But I think increasingly, as an examiner, we're seeing more and more face-to-face -face consultations, which is a reflection of what's happening in practice, isn't it, really? And I think it's good to have a variety, personally, 
actually there are some aspects of face-to-face consultations that can allow you for example to potentially demonstrate your interpersonal skills a little bit more I think variety is the key I also found that when I was recording it was nice as a candidate uh, to also just to mix it up a bit just to because initially I was just doing lots of audio recordings and then I mixed it up by adding some video recordings so not even necessarily in person but it was just nice to see the face of the person that I was talking to and it just added that extra element so yeah I, I mixed it up very slightly I do have to say the majority of mine were audio but I think it was also at that stage in the pandemic as well but I also agree Pauline with what you said about it's quite an exhaustive, exhaustive process. And to, you know, to give yourself breaks and to not overdo it, because I did find that I was, I would get really tired on the days that I recorded, you know, three or more. It is quite a mentally draining process. I think if I had a top tip for preparation, it's, is there, there is no perfect consultation. It doesn't have to be perfect. And you can drive yourself insane by trying to chase that, you know. As long as there's, you can demonstrate your skills in all three domains, which is data gathering, clinical management and interpersonal skills, then, you know, and, and you finished within the time frame and there are no obvious uh, errors or boobs that you can identify, then, then that should be okay. As an examiner, are there any particular things that you're looking out for you know, that really make you think, oh, this is a good consultant, or are there particular no-nos that candidates should, you know, avoid? Fiona, what do you think? So listening into the consultation, exactly as Pauline said there, it's data gathering, clinical management, interpersonal skills. So I think maybe in data gathering, we're really looking for someone to take a safe history. I think sometimes where people can sort of things that sometimes people can get wrong is maybe being a bit formulaic about that. So, you know, that classic ideas, concerns, expectations, you know, often if it's a nice flowing consultation, that kind of information often comes out naturally. And and so, and also if you're asking about social history, is it relevant? You know, is this somebody who's maybe got tennis elbow and you're asking them to rest, for example. And so it's relevant to know whether they're self-employed and they're not going to be able to do that, et cetera. You know, so it's making sure that you're speaking to the person and, and it's relevant, the history that you're taking. As we all know, you've got a limited amount of time, haven't you, to get good data gathering. So you want it to be focused and you want to help it to help you with your clinical management. I think in clinical management, it's actually making a diagnosis or, or working towards making a diagnosis. And I think as Pauline said, we want it to be at a level where where you're making a diagnosis and you're having a management plan that's actually evidence-based and and you might be reasons why you're not going to do whatever the guidelines said but then you remember the examiner doesn't actually know this patient at all so we don't know what drugs they're on we don't know what their past medical history is all we know is what you verbalize so if you suddenly look on the notes and say well I'm not going to give that because they were allergic to that and they've refused that etc in the past it's always a good idea to verbalize it so that we can follow your thinking really I think yeah, that was one of the things that I always struggled with initially about how to make it sound natural, you know, even though because I would be flicking through their notes whilst talking to them. But how do I then reflect that on to the examiner that I'm, I'm doing that? So, yeah, so just, I guess, think out loud. Is that sort of what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, sometimes, it, you know, you'll see a candidate, they've obviously made a diagnosis because they're managing it, but they haven't verbalized it or told the patient, you know, and they'll start a drug, but you don't know what it is. 
And, you know, that's such a shame when it happens, really, because you can't reward. And what about safety netting, you know, in these recorded consultations? Because there's a there's a temptation sometimes to over safety net or, you know, not do it at all. Is there a, again, is there a, a special formula that we should be using for this? There's, there's actually quite some useful advice came out on that, I think, from the college back in September 2021, where they gave a little bit of guidance, really, at that same time that the consultation increased up to 12 minutes. And they talk there about not alarming the patient by your safety netting. So what you, if you're saying to somebody, you know, this is a tension headache, for example, this is what we need to do, well, I'm going to see you here, or we're going to start this treatment or whatever, then you don't want to, the patient's feeling, you know, quite relaxed about it, understanding it. You might say, you know, if things worsen, deteriorate, etc., we'd, we'd like to see you. But you sometimes see people say, well, if you collapse, if you do this, if you start fitting, etc., etc., phone 999, do this, do that. And suddenly, the, you can almost see the patient kind of going, oh, my goodness, you know. And, um, and so it adds to their tension headache slightly doesn't it <laughs> yes yes <laughs> absolutely Bria. so I think that's uh I think you know and there is a bit of guidance on the RCGP website around that as well you know that um and I think that's something we sometimes see isn't it I think people think it's safe but actually it's causing quite a lot of alarm and it's actually not relevant to the condition that you're actually diagnosing and, and treating sometimes I think it's more more helpful if you explain to the patient what the natural history is likely to be so you know rather than do this, do that, say, you know, I expect your temperature to be down in 48 hours or whatever it is. And, you know, if that's not happening, then you need to see. Oh, that's quite a nice way of doing it. And what about particular things that you wouldn't want to see candidates doing or submitting? We've sort of talked about the types of cases that you don't want candidates to submit, but are there any things that you don't want to hear, hear or see candidates doing? on their recordings. So there are some guidelines there, particularly around things like examination. You do not want to expose those areas. Um, You know, that's because there's that sort of classic sort of rule set there as well. I think probably what candidates sometimes might do is maybe they think the data gathering is good and their interpersonal skills are good, but actually looking at, as I think as Pauline said there, thinking about the three domains. So you've got to be good, really, and your data gathering, your clinical management and your interpersonal skills. So if you're looking at your consultation and thinking, okay, I did a good history taking and, you know, my interpersonals are pretty good, but actually I didn't really diagnose it or I didn't actually manage it. I just sort of said, well, we'll do some tests or something and then I'll see you back. Think about how that's going to affect your mark, because if you don't demonstrate your skills in clinical management, you're missing out. And if I think one of the things that trainees sometimes do is with the extension up to 12 minutes, what I've seen some of them do is use that extra time for data gathering. And actually, their data gathering is pretty good, you know, within the 10 minutes. And they're using that time and not using enough for clinical management. So they're suddenly running out of time. And you can only get three, you know, you can only get maximum number of marks in data gathering. But you've got to, you really want to get that across the domains. You don't want to have really good data gathering, but then no real clinical management because that's really going to knock your score. So I would say don't overdo the data gathering. Make sure that the consultation is balanced. Clinical management is the domain where people tend to fail, actually, of the three. So that is the most challenging domain, I think, most trainees. So that's really helpful for actually thinking about when you're listening back, how do you then select the best cases out of, you know, the 20 you might have recorded? 
So I guess exactly as you said, Pauline and, and Fiona, look at those three domains and have you been all rounded in those three domains? Is that is that right? And if in your 13 cases, um, management was always falling short of what you know was expected, would that be a cause to you know not pass the exam? I think that would be something, if you're finding that consistently, if you're consistently doing something not right in your consultations, I would say that suggests you're not ready to sit yet. But it's really good that you've identified that that's a problem, but then really think about how am I going to rectify that before you start doing some more recording. And it's worth even just maybe taking a couple of weeks off from record, if you know, from thinking too much about exams and just focus on your consultations and what you're doing and then move forward with it. You know, so I would say if you're in doubt, hold on correct your mistake you correct your any you know big gaps that are repeated so i think sometimes we see this when we're looking at as trainers looking at consultations for trainees that you'll see patterns of behavior that happen and the same mistake or same thing happens in, in repeated consultations and it's like a light bulb moment when somebody can see that correct it and you're just their score just shoots up and that's a lovely thing to see as a trainer <laughs> Is there still place for doing lots of role play and simulated cases as practice for the RCA? Yes, I, I think so, because really this is all about consulting, you know, at the end of the day. There isn't anything, you know, experience in general practice, day-to-day practice and analysing consultations and doing role plays is are great ways to prepare, really. And the benefit of role plays in particular is that you can you can play things again, you know, when things don't do so well. You can try, you know, be a bit bolder than perhaps you would in everyday practice and, and learn some new skills that way. So I think role play with feedback is, is a great way to prepare. And what about the difficult consultations? So, you know, breaking bad news or if you have a patient that's being particularly challenging. Are those still good cases to submit? Because I guess traditionally in the CSA, you might have had a patient that, you know, I don't like using the term difficult, but, you know, where you've had a a challenging consultation that would be included in the CSA. So is that still one to include in the RCA? Because I think as a candidate, I would feel quite hesitant about submitting one of those consultations. I think, Priya, it probably depends on the level of challenge. I think if you're spending, say, five minutes with the patient explaining your appointment system, for example, you know, because they've maybe been quite frustrated and not being able to get an appointment, you've got to think that's five minutes that you're not actually showing your clinical skill. Well, you might be showing your interpersonal skills and probably you are demonstrating your interpersonal skills, but you're potentially, you know, reducing down the amount of time for you to demonstrate that case as a submission. I think if you've got somebody who's maybe you know, a little irritated or something about something or they're unhappy about something that's happened in the past and you're able to should demonstrate your interpersonal skills to diffuse that situation and move the consultation forward, then I think that can, could be, score very well. But I would be very cautious of the level of challenge. I would not go out to actively seat, you know, very challenging <laughs> patients. And I think, as again, I would go back to that advice on the RCGP website about level of challenge. And if your trainer would say, I wouldn't do that well in 12 minutes, then that's probably not one to submit, I would suggest. And what about particular resources? So, Pauline, are there any particular resources or courses that you would recommend for the trainees who might be thinking about the RCA or preparing for it? I mean, I think actually there are huge resources on the RCGP website itself. 
And that's the first place to look for everything. There's quite a lot of misinformation out there amongst trainees about elements of the RCA. And it's important that that doesn't get propagated, really, and that everybody, you know, people get, can become quite anxious before the exam, as you know. So it's important that they have the right information. And that really comes from the horse's mouth to speak. So that's where I would definitely go to first. There are plenty of other resources though, aren't there, Fiona? I mean, there's all sorts of things out there on various BTS websites and things like that. I think there's still some stuff on 14 Fish as well that's quite useful. I'm not sure that I would particularly recommend anything else. What about you, Fiona? Would you no, I'd agree. And I, I often say to trainees when they're preparing, you know, even like lay aside three nights of your life to look at the RCGP website and really understand it. There's tips there for your trainer as well. There's tips for you. And make sure you really understand what the exam's testing. I'd absolutely back what Pauline said. There is a lot of misinformation out there. And it's so sad when some of that gets through and, and people, you know, make it, you know, come unstuck because of that. So I think go to the reputable sources and, you know, and and I think RCGP website is a very good good place to start. It also has a one of the it has a little sort of grid on it as well. Apart from about challenge and stuff, it also talks about the domains. So that data gathering, clinical management, interpersonal skills, and it's a little sort of blue box um, on the RCGP website, and it sort of explains what they're looking for in each thing as well. So I think sometimes that could be quite helpful if you're looking at your own submissions. Maybe having that up on a second screen and just sort of thinking, okay, what did I actually do in data gathering? What did I actually do in my clinical management? What did I actually do in what, what, what skills did I demonstrate in my interpersonal skills? And I think that's quite a nice way to when you're looking at your own submissions which you should really be looking at before your trainer or anyone goes near them so that you you think okay I think this is good you know I think this is good or I don't think this is good because of that and hopefully you've got to that stage before you're submitting so you know what a good consultation is because I think that's the thing to always remember this is your submission it's not your trainer's submission it's your submission so you need to know what's good. Also your trainer's only going to have limited time they won't be able to listen to a hundred consultations that you might have recorded so yeah definitely I, I, would, I would agree with that as well. Thank you so much. Do you have any final sort of top tips for any trainees that might be preparing? I think really just, you know, stay calm, give yourself plenty of time, you know, make use of the practice team. Everybody wants you to pass. What about you, Fiona? I'd say, you know, look after yourself. It's, it's quite stressful getting all this together, you know, so make sure you're taking a bit of time out to look after yourself through all of this. Whatever that is, don't feel guilty about doing that, you know, having some relaxation, um, not just coming home and going into a sort of treadmill. And I think try and be structured about how you're going to do your recordings. You know, make sure you've got the room, that you've got the team involved, just as Pauline said there, and that you're maybe recording, say, a couple of days a week and negotiate with your practice to maybe just have a bit more time, a bit more space and in a quiet room. Because if you're recording, just reminding yourself that if you're recording on 12 minutes, you're going to have your, con your consent time. You've got to write up your notes at the end of it. You might want to look up some CKS guidelines or something as well beforehand or maybe even during or whatever you're allowed to do that and so make sure that you're not sort of on 12 minutes stat appointments you're going to need that extra space you know and then you've got to upload etc so and that's explaining that to your trainer and to the practice so that you've got that time but then maybe restricting yourself to a couple of days a week of recording or, you know, whatever works best um, in your circumstances, but not trying to record every single day in a very rushed environment where you're sort of feeling exhausted and burnt out. So, um, so yeah, that would probably be my advice. <laughs> 
that's all really, really helpful. Thank you so much, Fiona and Pauline, for joining us today and for all of your advice. Thank you. If what we've discussed has prompted any thoughts or questions, please do get in touch by leaving a comment, dropping us an email, or finding us on Twitter at Training, and I'll include these further details in the bio as well as some extra resources for you to look at. Thank you and see you next time for the next episode of Ace GP Training.